Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 115, recorded on July 19th of 2020. Uh, I'm your host, Don Kamarechka, and if you're listening to this for the first time, well, well, we just geek out about photo stuff uh, that happens in the industry on a weekly basis, myself and a guest. And uh, this week, I have a uh, fellow Canadian, though living abroad, um, a, a good friend of mine, uh, one of the two hosers from the Two Hosers Photo Show, Alan Attridge, joins the podcast. Alan, uh, uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, the same. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's the same same as last week and the week before, I think. Yeah, well, I was on your podcast recently, and so we, we kind of touched base then. And uh, the world is kind of standing still in some ways. Yes. Yeah, that's what we're experiencing yep. that here. It's uh, it's it's actually we we things are the ice is melting. And uh, so I was at I had I had a baseball game today and we've been to the pool and and uh, things are happening. My kids are back in gymnastics, that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, things are kind of uh, coming back to life in certain areas. We've got a staged reopening here in Ontario, and our area is now stage three, so that you can uh, go and dine in in a restaurant if you so choose to. Are you? I choose not to. Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course not. <laughs> Nor have that I. That is not going to be happening anytime soon. Uh, and I'll wait and see what the numbers look like. If if the entire province is getting like a caseload that's in the single digits on a daily basis, then that's when I might consider adjusting some of those indoor behavior ideas, including sending my daughter to daycare or, or things like that. So right. We're a long way off from there. Uh, you're probably not as far off as you think, but uh, you're heading in the right direction. I'm very optimistic about, about what's going to ha- happen in Ontario. So long as our southern border here stays closed. Um, <laughs> For now, sure. I, I mean, I don't want to get political about it, but hey, there's a very definitive line uh, in, in what's going on uh, between Canada and the U.S. And, sure. Uh, all of my best to the people in the U.S. Stay safe down there. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, just uh, we'll, we'll all get through this. Uh, but in the meantime... We've got quite a few things to talk about photographically this week. It's been a big... Uh, I, I honestly thought during this time that, for, first of all, early on when when, when the first kind of lockdowns happened in, in March or whatever, I just... There would be some of the occasional photography notice would come out and I just did not care. I just was not on my radar. And I like cameras. Or if it was, it's like you see the headline and you don't even bother to read into it because it's just... It doesn't matter to you. Sure, sure. And so yeah. I thought, well... We, we, I mean, obviously, like, uh, in terms of event photography and the, the kind of photography that most people do, you know, being out in the world, uh, you know, it's going to come to a crashing halt for the for the time being. And so I thought, well, surely the whole camera industry is going to just kind of grind to a halt. I was wrong. Well, a lot of stuff was in development. And, yeah. uh, you know, if, if it's in the pipeline and it's coming out... Um, don't just hold it back, I guess, right? I mean, if you release it now, your sales might not be perfect, but um, down the road, when everybody does get back into the swing of things, then your product is there and ready and available Mm -hmm. to anybody that's going to want it. Um, Now, I do have some errata to talk about and a follow-up uh, from the pev- uh, previous episode. Um, I, uh, I have been taken to task on a uh, an incorrect fact that I have been talking about on this podcast. Not possible. Before. Not possible. About, about, yeah, it's, it's possible. It's possible. About uh, Canon cameras and intervalometers, especially those that are built in. I know that your camera, uh, Alan, you're shooting with a 5D Mark III, correct? Yeah. Does not have an intervalometer built in. I don't even know what that, um, I don't know what that word even means. 
Uh, it's to do time lapse shooting. Oh, sure. Say, okay, take, I do know. T- what it take means. a photo, yeah. you know, one photo every ten seconds for you know eight hundred frames. Or whatever. Okay, so intervals. Um, I get it. It's right there in the word. Yeah, uh, interval shooting or intervalometer. Um, and uh, my previous Canon camera, the One DX Mark III, also does not have an intervalometer. Uh, and I looked up the manual for the One DX Mark III as a PDF and scanned the entire document for the word interval. It doesn't appear that the One DX Mark III has that feature either. As a flagship top-of-the-line camera, that's surprising to me. But the 77D, the 90D, the 5D Mark IV, and potentially other Canon cameras do have built-in intervalometers. So, um, color me incorrect, and thank you for the massive amount of people that have called me out on that incorrect fact. Even though I've mentioned that incorrectly many times in the past, nobody ever mentioned it. I guess I just broke people, and they had to tell me finally. So, thank you. Okay, so you, you said that no Canon cameras had it. Well, because I looked at the top brass... You know, the the 1D series bodies, and you would imagine that they would have every feature under the sun. Right. Uh, and they do not. Uh, they they are missing features, and uh, thankfully, they've been adding that at some of the lower cameras. But that's a workaround sense. that you, you, you hipped me to was a, a marble and duct tape. Well, that that was when it's not technically an intervalometer. It's when you're shooting star trails. Right. Uh, And if you forget your lockdown shutter release, uh, because most wired shutter releases have a button, uh, a release button that can be locked into the down position. Mm -hmm. Um, This is for bulb shooting. But also, if you set your camera to a 30 second exposure and uh, continue a shooting, then you can do 30 second exposure for star trails. And then when that exposure ends, the next one automatically begins again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to do that when I was out shooting in uh, in the Collingwood areas. I was you know, seated down at the top of the Blue Mountains overlooking Georgian Bay and the Great Lakes, beautiful scene. And my intervalometer is broken. Like the cords just come right out of it, um, which I was using uh, as, a, uh, as, a, uh, as a wired shutter release. And so in that moment, I thought, okay, well, it wasn't a marble. It was just a pebble that I found. And I had some, I can't remember if it was duct tape or gaffer's tape, but I just took some thick tape, taped that over the shutter button as if I was depressing it. And of course, the first shot and the last shot are going to be a little shaky. Uh, Discard those. But everything else in between, you've got your effective interval shooting because the entire length of time, that whole 30 seconds, is the shot. And there's no break in between them. There you go. Take that, Canon. Yeah. <laughs> I can substitute your fancy extra accessories with a pebble and some tape. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, take that, Canon. There's been a bit of a, a backfire, uh, pun intended, uh, with the announcement of the EOS R5 and uh, some overheating issues. And I wanted to bring this up to you, Alan, because mm-hmm. I know that you were waiting, uh, not really on the edge of your seat per se, about the announcement of the R5 and the R6, because you have been contemplating uh, maybe jumping into the Fuji platform, maybe seeing what Canon comes up with next. You know, you're uh, 5D Mark III is new to you, relatively, uh, but you've been looking to see what's on the horizon. And what did you think originally about these announcements from Canon, the R5 and the R6? Well, yeah, I've been shooting with my 5D Mark III for uh, almost a couple of years now, a uh, year and a half or something like that. And I bought it used uh, as a stopgap. Um, not happy with it. Not, not, not my favorite camera I've ever had. And so basically, ironically, I was ready to set fire to my Canon cameras, which... Canon seems to be able to do for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, I, so I was looking to jump ship. I, I just had enough. My, my focus hit rate with the Mark three, which I've had, I've had repaired. The focus hit rate is, is lower than I'd like it to be. And I thought, okay, maybe it's user error quite possibly, but I have a, uh, 5d classic, which I still use, which is barely hanging on. And my hit rates around a hundred percent on that. It, it is it, like, even and that's a 12 megapixel camera from like 2004 or something. something like that. 2004, 2005. I think it's 12. You think you're right. I think it's 12. I also still shoot with my 40 D like we've talked before, about having like really, I, I mean, yeah. what you should do with that camera is you should set it up, uh, to, to like take its final shots in some really risky, uh, di- like a, a scenario that the camera is likely to be destroyed. I've done that like 300 times and it will not die. <laughs> I've really, I really have, I, I, that, that is why I own that camera is, is it is end of life and I'm trying to give it a, a Viking funeral and it won't go. And so, but, but what, what in the process, I am getting a bunch of photos that I never, ever, ever would have gotten had I taken, for example, my beloved X100, my Fuji X100F. Well, you wouldn't have risked it, right? No, I wouldn't bother. I would never take it into the Mediterranean with me. I would never go and tread water in the Mediterranean with my X100. I have done that with my, my 40D because I literally do not care. If that thing goes and, under, and if it dies, you know, if it if it goes under a wave, then I'll fish well, the CF card out and leave it. It'll it, it can live there. Use it as an underwater camera for about thirty seconds. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and then take the card out when the electronics. People uh, look at me funny. I, I take it to the to the swimming pool or wherever to take pictures of my kids jumping in the water. And I'll go in the water and people will be splashing me and I don't care and people think I'm insane. I'll just I'll set my camera on the pool deck and just leave it there while I swim. I don't care. No one's going to take it uh probably so far they haven't unless they need to pound tent pegs in with it, it that that would be completely reasonable and so i so i but my my focus hit rate on that camera from i bought that in 2007 my focus hit rate is around 99 percent focus hit rate on the 5d classic now the, the, the 40d is a, a 10 megapixel camera the other one's 12 megapixels, full frame, and my hit rate's around 100%. I can't miss. I, and we're talking shooting at F2 on an 85mm uh, uh, F1.8 lens. It, it, it nails it every time. The Mark III, I'm, get, I'm at like 85% in, in, tough, in tough situations. And I've had it, I've had it fixed at, the, at, at Canon. And uh, I, I, I'll go out and say it. I, I hate that camera. I hate using it. I don't hate the strong word. Yeah, probably. You're gonna go that far? Yeah, I do because because what they've done is they've taken they've they've robbed me of my confidence to go and shoot a job. If I get paid to go shoot a job, if I'm gonna go shoot some event or whatever, that I, you have to 100% no honk guarantee get that shot. I have an 85% chance of getting that shot. They are crushing my my confidence, and I I want to walk. I want to get out of that now. I don't want to go with the Mark IV. Quite honestly, Canon's kind of soured me on the the DSLRs. Now I also well, and I w- I would say that, and this might tie into a later story as well. That switching to a mirrorless platform is probably the way to go in terms of making sure that you're buying lenses that are going to be future proof. You can use your existing lenses, right. but uh, you'll be buying into a system uh, that is going to continue on for a much longer period of time uh, rather than continuing to buy EF glass. Uh, there's going to be a transition that has to be made. And a lot of people were waiting for this uh, EOS uh, R5 and R6 announcement. We talked about it last mm-hmm. week. Um, so just a brief follow-up. Uh, the thing overheats. And, Didn't we and see that coming, ex- though? 
Well, I should have expected it because when uh, Panasonic came out with the Lumix S1H, they built a fan into right. the thing and a beefier body because of that so that it could shoot uh, without limits, really. Uh, I mean, of course, memory card space is always going to be a limit. Uh, 5.9K uh, or 6K video uh, if you go to the uh, 3x2 ratio. And not everybody needs that. Uh, for sure. In fact, I was shooting some stuff the other day in 4K and it was great, you know, more than I would need. Um, but I was looking at uh, at this, it was reported by Cinema 5D, as well as other places I saw as well. They did some testing, the EOS R5, that if you're shooting uh, 4K, 120p, mm-hmm. you're only going to get 15 minutes worth of shooting in before your camera says, I'm tapping out. I'm just way too hot. I cannot function anymore. Let me cool off. Right. If you're shooting 8K footage, because for whatever reason you need that, <laughs> uh, you get 20 minutes of shooting before the camera says, no, nope, we're not continuing. Okay. But that's not the worst part about it. It's because, okay, if you stop for a bit, you know, you take a five minute break, you know, you, you uh, drink some pop or whatever, uh, you know, eat a sandwich and you, you go back to shoot you're still not going to be able to shoot because the camera's still too hot. The real uh, message here is if you're shooting uh, 8K 30P and you wait 10 minutes, do you know how much shooting time you get out? I, I think I read this. It's like 90 seconds or something like that. 33 minutes. Yeah, th- three yeah. minutes. Th- three minutes. Yeah. And if you wait 20 minutes, you get eight minutes of recording okay. time. So it, it effectively completely negates this as a professional tool in any construct whatsoever unless you're shooting outdoors in the wintertime. Okay, but it doesn't, though. Uh, it doesn't because, who, first of all, who's shooting 8K? Are you shooting 8K? Well, well, I, I mean, I don't have the ability to shoot 8K, but I will say that some of my clients ask for the best I can deliver because they're matching footage for documentary films that that, that footage might end up in archives to be used in the future sure. and resampled or punched in on and so on. There's a purpose for it that a very small number of people will need. But those people that need it are typically buying cameras that cost as much as my car. Indeed. Now, they're releasing this for, yeah. I don't know what the price is in Canada, under 5000 bucks, right? I believe so. Yeah, well, in the U.S., anyhow. I don't know what the conversion would be to Canadian dollars. Okay, so here's the thing is, first of all, if you can afford to shoot 8K, that means that means you have a, you have a computer that can process 8K. You have enough, uh, you know, terabytes, call it petabytes at that point, probably, to store a couple of hours of 8K footage, which is massive. What is 20 minutes? Is like 400 gig or something like that. Okay, well, Alan, let's let's just lead into our our first story for for the day then, because that was our follow up. Okay. That camera overheats. If you want to shoot 8K on a camera that doesn't overheat, heck. You want to shoot 12K because everybody's clamoring for that. They just need more Ks, right? <laughs> um, and and so uh, Blackmagic Design has debuted the Ursa Mini Pro 12K camera um, and lower cost versions of its Video Assist 3G. But really, we're going to talk about the, the Blackmagic um, Ursa Mini Pro 12K here. Um, so for just under $10,000 US, you can get a 12K cinema-capable camera that can be mm-hmm. either PL mount, EF mount, Nikon F mount, maybe future revisions because that's a an interchangeable component um, that will shoot 4K video 
in a fairly compact camera. I mean, it's it's a cinema camera. It's not an SLR style camera. So it's got all your inputs. It's got your XLRs and it's got uh, your uh, SDIs and blah. It, it is it's designed for a production environment uh, if you wanted to choose to do that. Um, I know you do a lot of video work professionally, uh, or at least mm-hmm. you're hoping to get back to video work professionally. One day, uh, yeah. One day. Um, if, uh, would anybody ever ask you for 12K? Do you see, like, in the next decade, do, do you think that that's going to be something that's on a line item on the on the list of things that you need to have to apply for a gig? Short answer, no. I mean, ours, I they should have stopped at 11. Ours go to 11, <laughs> like in Spinal Tap. The but I I I looked this up in anticipation of talking about this. I tried to Google and get a, a uh, an actual answer of what is the sort of comparative effective resolution of thirty five millimeter movie film. Right. Now thirty five millimeter movie film is not thirty five millimeter. No, it's super thirty five. Uh, and so I, I it's looked, APS-C essentially. Uh, and I, I looked at the the size formats. A super thirty five uh, millimeter film is. Uh, 24.89 by 18.66 millimeters specifically. Um, which is a, which is essentially an APS-C uh, it, Yeah, sensor. I mean, APS, uh, the, the sensor varieties will always be changing within those. Uh, now, this uh, this camera doesn't record at exactly those same aspect ratios because it's a, it's a longer, more, mm. um, uh, you know, wider format. Uh, but it effectively covers the same uh, square millimeter ratio of, of space. Okay, so in 35 millimeter movie film, like you're going to watch Pulp Fiction to, to, to date myself, and you're watching on the screen. I know there's the whole the screen and the size, et cetera, but what would be the effective one to one comparison of if you had a digital version next to it projecting and you can't tell the difference in resolution wise? What would that be? Would it be 4K? Would it be 6K? What K would that be? I, I can't, I cannot get a straight answer. I, I, I would say probably a half a K, maybe 1K. You think it's that low? I, I do. I, I well, I, I think that it's it's hard to compare film to digital in terms of resolution because the film grain, mm-hmm. uh, like you can scan it and see the more detail of the grain, but you're not getting more resolution of the detail of of what was captured within the film itself. And, mm-hmm. and the line where detail of the objects transitions into details of the film grain varies based on the film stock, and and it varies based on um, uh, the um, uh, whether it's black and white or in color, et cetera. So, um, but the, the idea here is that, uh, you can now shoot with a, that smaller sensor format, um, super 35 up to 12 K, which means that's gotta be an 80 megapixel sensor inside there. I mean, that's right. a ridiculous resolution to cram into that size. Apparently it's a new sensor that's being used. Um, and it's not using the standard Bayer pattern that we're familiar with, with uh, the cameras that you and I both own, which uh, on a, uh, a grid of four pixels, uh, you would have a green, a red, and then on the row below, a blue and a green. So you would have two greens for every red and blue. But in this case, uh, they're doing something different. Um, they're doing a six by six grid where there are six green, six blue, and six red plus 18 white pixels. 
So you have an equal number of, uh, of RGB. So there's no imbalance mm-hmm. in terms of having more green than the other two. Uh, and white pixels that are just gathering luminance information. And so that's an entirely different approach uh, that, I, I mean, maybe it exists in other cinema sensors. I haven't studied that market extensively. But I know uh, in the cameras that I've used uh, that I would consider purchasing, I dive into those details and figure out what's what. Um, I've never seen a sensor configuration quite like that before, which I thought was pretty interesting. And it means that um, it might have fairly good, uh, you know, qualities in low light, so, sort of like human vision, right? We've got rods and cones. One detects color, uh, one detects um, uh, just plain old luminance. So um, when we have the rods in our eyes activated at night, our color vision is pretty poor. Um, mm-hmm. But we can still see things, right? We can make out objects. And so this camera might have the ability to shoot, uh, you know, in terms of low light performance quite high, but sacrificing its color acuity, uh, you know, when you're shooting in those environments. So there's a lot that's yet to be seen from this. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of new technology involved in it. Um, But, okay, you can't do anything with 12K. The only thing that you would do is like a medium format photographer using a phase one camera. There's really not a use out of having 150 megapixels in that scenario either. in the film days, uh, you know, fashion photographers would be doing all of their edits uh, on the larger format, whether it be four by five or medium format, and uh, and then scaling that down to help hide the edits. And uh, I, you know, I guess the fashion industry has evolved a little bit, thankfully, where they're not doing uh, that kind of manipulation to the images anymore, or at least that's what we're led to believe. Um, but. In this case, if you want to do color grading, if you want to do, uh, you know, matching from uh, camera to camera, if you want to make sure that you're pun- that you'd punch in extensively to that, if you just need to, there's a lot of flexibility for 12K, but the deliverable of any company right now is going to be 4K at most. Nobody's asking right. for anything more than that, and you're capturing significantly more. And I looked at the numbers here, because you mentioned the, the, the bit rates for the R5. Um, if you're shooting Blackmagic RAW, uh, with a, a five to one compression ratio, um, you're generating nearly 600 megabytes per second. Okay. Okay. Um, now, um, you're going to fill up. A, what is the frame? Are you talking about like 60 frames per second? Uh, well, that, that would be 12 K 24 P 24 P. Wow. At 24 P. At 24p. Okay. And now that's at the that's at the least compression. You can compress it more. 8 to 1 is, you know, uh, 361 megabytes a second, etc. But if you want the But if you're going to the, if you're going to the trouble of shooting that, why would you compress it? it well, that's the point, right? If you're going to go right. all in, go all in, right? right? And that gets you like on a on a 256 gigabyte uh, uh, media. You're going to get about 8 minutes of shooting. Uh, okay, but that's reasonable. But, but, but okay, in, in in context, if you're going to go and shoot again back to 35 millimeter film, where I think this is this is where this should be used, you want to go shoot 35 millimeter film. You you jam in, in a, a thousand foot uh, roll of film into the into that magazine. You get 11 minutes and 40 seconds rough. It's 11, yeah, 11:40, I believe, is what you can squeeze out of it if you get really if you're really really good at loading it. If if your nine um, P is really tight, you can do you can get eleven forty, so that's reasonable. Well, I, I suppose, except for the fact um, that uh, I, I looked up that the camera has um, dual C or was it dual or at least uh, one C fast memory card slot. The other one might have been SD. I can't find the specs in front of me right now, um, but the maximum throughput 
for any uh, CFast memory card. I pulled up uh, Angelbird, which is uh, common in the cinema space. Um, the fastest cards available, and I think this is not limited by the manufacturer's design. I think it's limited by the um, uh, the format, the protocols, the the bandwidth of the uh, serial ATA infrastructure that they'd be building in if they were using CFast cards. The maximum sustainable write speed is 430 megabytes a second. Okay, so you're going to have to downsize that. So... <laughs> So 430 is the maximum that you can put on the card. And yet, if you wanted to be shooting uh, 12K uh, uh, with the the least amount of compression, you better have a really big buffer in the camera or you're not going to be shooting that all in one go. You're going to have to be shooting that in smaller snippets unless you pick up they have a uh, Blackmagic Design Ursa Mini Pro 12K recorder. It's an external recorder that will take 2.5-inch SSDs, which I've got a reader for those here because I use them in my uh, N- uh, Ninja V. And uh, and so you'd have to have an extra piece of kit. It's not that expensive based on everything. It's $400. The media ends up being more expensive. You'd have to not even use the internal recording capabilities of the camera when they could have used CF Express. Which goes to like, like, one point seven gigabits per second, uh, or uh. as its maximum throughput that you can put on that. So there's some design choices that just seem a little bit odd for this camera. But still, to have a camera capable of shooting 8K under ten thousand dollars, if some cinematographer has delusions of grandeur and wishes to uh, to sort of say that they have the masterful idea now that they wish to future-proof for, uh, for generations to come, and they will be a cinematographer heralded for their uh, early adoption of the format that will be all injected into our brains via a neural <laughs> link in 30 years from now, they might go out and buy this camera, right? I, I suppose. I, I generally think that, I don't know, you can pay too little for sushi. Uh, and so ten ten thousand dollars for this camera, it seems light. I mean, I, I always I always feel like black magic is somehow the the forgotten stepchild in the in the film industry for some reason. I mean, as and I'm not sure why. They Send all the hate mail to that uh, comment to Alan Attridge directly. I'm not saying that I, I I agree with it. I'm saying that they 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 come in fifth in a lot of four four man races, and uh, I don't know why that is. I I, I I've ne- I've not had any hands on with their with their cameras. I know people who have, and they do like them. Um, they just maybe it's marketing, maybe whatever it is. Maybe they don't get enough enough stick time on on the big blogs. I don't know. Um, I can't believe the specs on this camera for the price. I, I, I was thinking back to in 1999 when I bought my Canon XL1, the the, one, the first Canon's digital uh, DV recorder, which I yep. love that camera. Um, so you talk about megapixels. It was, if I'm rounding up, it was 0.4 megapixels. <laughs> yeah. Recorded to tape. Uh, I, I, I kitted out the, I got the whole full kit project, uh, uh, version with the XLR inputs that plugged in and I paid around $6,500 Canadian, $6,500. And I love that camera. Now it, the cameras that you're getting now, like the, the R6 or, or this black magic, they're a thousand times better than that camera. And so I, I used to get a lot of excellent images. Now, a lot of that was to do with the, the lens. I liked the lens on that camera. Not, not everybody did. 
It also, there was a skill level, there was lighting, there was story being told. So if you're focused 100% on the geek factor here on, on yeah, I want the 12K, uh, you're going to fail. Your, your movie is going to be terrible. And focus on story. I, I appreciate having a barrier to entry in, in these situations where people have yeah. to earn getting there. You can't just be dropped off on the top of Mount Everest. You're, you're in big trouble. So you got to earn your way up. I'd rather see someone take a 4K camera, which is way past what you need, and uh, tell an excellent story with it. Well, exactly. And I, I did look it up. It's got dual CFast 2.0 uh, recorders and dual UHS-2 SD card recorders, not UHS-3 though. Um, and so there's a little switch on the side that you can switch from CFast to SD. So you can be uh, doing a dual recorder on one format or the other, but apparently not both at the same time. Right. Um, so there, there's that answered. But um, hey, it's an interesting piece of kit. I'm glad it exists. Um, but I, I don't think that there's a need for it unless you perceive there to be a need. And then that's all in your head. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, was the Tom Cruise movie, Jamie, Lee, uh, Jamie Foxx? Uh, what was it called? He's in the cab. Collateral. Called Collateral. Okay, yes, one of the first movies shot with on, on digital was was uh, David Fincher shot. I think it was called The Viper. Was like a very new camera that he had to have it tethered to a recorder and all that. And it's amazing. And I, I'll bet you, I don't even know what the 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 K uh, number was on that. Probably three K. Like it was not very high. And right. uh, I mean, like the first one of the first sequel to this one of the sequels to the Star Wars was shot on like a you know nineteen twenty by ten eighty camera, and that one looked awful actually. But but. Collateral looks fantastic. It's not about the K. It's about the storytelling. It's about the, the artistic vision, the yeah. director, the editing, the acting. Did you know that Tom Cruise made a cameo on the children's TV series, The Magic School Bus? I did not know that. I know that because I'm watching The Magic School Bus with my four-year-old daughter. Okay. And, and there was Tom Cruise. And did you also know that um, uh, the one of the children's name is Carlos in that series, and his father is voiced by Edward J. Olmos. Okay, his father is, Ed, okay, who played Jaime Escalante in Stand and Deliver, which if you have not seen that movie, see that movie. Well, I know him as Captain and later Admiral Adama from Battlestar Galactica. Have you not seen Stand and, and this is the ultimate geek geek movie. Oh, no, I've seen it, but I, okay. I know him much better okay. for his role in Battlestar Galactica because he hits it out of the park in that series. Well, it's no um, Miami Vice where we first saw him, but okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the next story. Um, this is interesting. Uh, and and Alan, I just watched the, the video presented by Pentax before we started recording, uh, uh, reported on DP Review. Pentax's new, quote, brand vision shows it's doubling down on the SLR camera systems. So what are your thoughts about Pentax play here? Because they've said before, Alan, that they're not jumping into the mirrorless market. Um, they're holding their ground in the flapping mirror design. Sure. It's the same reason that I'm not dating Margot Robbie. Um, it's not really up to me, turns out. Okay. With apologies to my wife, who would probably understand, I'll be honest with you. But the uh, yeah, Pentax doesn't want to do it because they're last out of the gate. Now, good for them. I, I, you, don't have to, you don't have to be all things to all people. In fact, I would prefer if a lot of these companies would be excellent at one thing first and then branch off in, in, and then exp, you know, expand their horizons. So I like Pentax knows, let's be honest, Pentax knows that 
like black magic, they're the forgotten stepchild in this, uh, in this whole scenario. So they're, they are not going to compete. Yeah. (laughs) Is that bad? Stepchild? Um, they, they, I'm not condoning it to be fair. The, uh, they know they can't compete in this. And why would the, why would you want to compete? Like it, it is it is a saturated market already. So I well, th- this is true. And and if everybody makes the transition to mirrorless platforms, um and somebody is still desiring modern-ish technology in a uh in a flapping mirror uh, SLR format design, and if Pentax is the only one that's still there, does that make them still relevant? No. No, they're 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 making the best of a a tough situation, in my opinion. Now, when it comes to to shooting mirrorless, I'm not super keen on making the jump just yet. Now, I, I have my I have the X100F, the the Fuji that is the rangefinder slash hybrid with the the EVF, and I admit I use it in EVF mode almost all the time because I actually do like it. I actually like having the optical viewfinder in a dslr so i'm not well and the the first uh, and i have to interject the first um uh, electronic viewfinders that i looked through so bad right they were atrocious that i would never have adopted that system i looked at them again a few years later and i thought these have come a long way it's still not exactly on par um and then when i saw the the current generation of evfs especially on full frame cameras i'm like now we're there we are there and uh, we are at parity or beyond based on what you can see in terms of information, in terms of uh, resolution. Mm-hmm. And that's now, or at least it was like a year, two years ago, uh, that's only going to get better. And and so to stay with the, oh, you see the actual light itself, you know, right. there's always been some merit to that. But I got over it quickly. I can see that. So my, my part of mine is is I need the... I really do need the hybrid camera for video and film because I do I do both. I, I would like to have a kit for each, but the reality is I kind of want to travel light, and so I do want this. So I, I am going to go mirrorless as soon as I possibly can. And so, what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, obviously you're not go- you're not going Pentax. I'm not going Pentax, but it, I, I I think the the I, I like what I like I appreciate what Pentax is doing here. I, I think they're 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 going for a niche market. Um, I think this is going to be the the jokey sort of film versus digital argument in the next couple of years. It's going to be well, but I, I wanted to bring this up, Alan. Um, do you think it would make sense at all? For Pentax to roll out, they do like limited edition lenses and stuff. Um, would it make sense for them to roll out a limited edition camera? That's a film camera using the latest advances in autofocus uh, and uh, you know, the, the last versions of film cameras from Canon and Nikon, at least I know for Canon for sure, had the ability to record EXIF data uh, and you could then associate that with like, could you see them making the, uh, the ultimate uh, modern film camera with all the conveniences of a digital SLR, except the media is analog. Do you think that that's a niche that they would be able to corner in any seriousness. No, I or think is that just it goes the other way. I think they're they're going to, and if they're smart, and by smart I mean listening to me, because obviously <laughs> that's how I'm 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 biased. I think they were they 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 would be well served to make the digital version of the film experience, and that means take the Pentax, strip down, strip it down, get rid of the get rid of the video features entirely. 
So whatever video features, which 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 video video on a DSLR at the beginning, I mean, I loved it. The quality is amazing, but that that mirror gets in the way. I I, I appreciate that. I'd like it gone. That's why I want to go mirrorless. I would get rid of the the video altogether. I would basically get rid of all this different modes: the sports mode, the night mode, the kids party mode, all the stupid dials on on the top of the the selections you can have on the top of the dial, and have three. Because I I think honestly. The, the people who are going to use a, a, mirror, uh, a, a DSLR in the future with the Pentax are going to actually use two modes, but you have to throw a third one in. You're going to have aperture priority, which is going to be most people. You're going to have full manual, which will actually be also be most people. I don't know how you can have both be most, but it's going to probably shake out that way. And the last is you have shutter priority, which is used by almost zero people, but you kind of have to throw it in for some reason. I, I don't like it myself. You have those three modes, strip it all down, and just go bare bones. Get rid of the LCD screen. That's what I would do if I was them. Well, well that's a bold statement. I know Leica's done that with a number of their rangefinder cameras, uh, and they have found some success for those people that require that film experience, but yet are too lazy for the inconvenience of film. Uh, Tether it to your iPhone via the Bluetooth if you want to have that. You, you could add that on. But if you want to go out there, if you want to go out there and be the full on, I see the light through the viewfinder, which I've never thought of that myself. That's never why I've really cared. But if you want to go it, if you want to go, go for it. I think you have I think you'll have a, a niche market. Here's a neat idea, too. Um, uh, my my wife's phone case has like 10 different uh, neodymium magnets on the back of it that let it attach to a little wallet thing. Uh, you know, if she was uh, putting that together. So it's like a really nice, solid connection. Wouldn't it be interesting if the back of uh, of the camera was just filled with those magnets, and the uh, they they sold uh, cases that would allow you to put your phone into that case with matching magnets and just stick your phone on the back if you wanted to, as if it is the LCD screen. Okay, you should cut this part out and then patent it before you air it on the show. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like that. I like. Well, I, I happen to like rare earth magnets a great deal, though. Well, uh, me as well, uh, and uh, much fun with ferrofluid. I'm just saying. Okay, so but but when the last thing about this now, you 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 shoot mirrorless, or you you ha- you do you have yeah, some? Yeah, I've uh, Micro Four Thirds and uh, the the Leica L mount uh, with the uh, Panasonic S1, S1R, and S1H. All right, is autofocus far and away better with with the mirrorless cameras? Uh, I well, see the thing is for macro photography, I don't often use autofocus, so okay. uh, it's I I don't do a lot of that high action stuff. I know that some companies do it better than others. People complain about a wobbly effect in video on the Lumix cameras that I've never mm-hmm. experienced because I never even shoot video using autofocus either, um, and and that's all down to advancements in software and uh, and just fine tuning things as time goes on, which I think every company is doing. Um, um, and I think that it's there's more capabilities to do that with subject interpretation, understanding, uh, you know, the, the deep learning, identifying things, the pre- prediction of where things are going and so on and so forth mm-hmm. um, that we've seen with a lot of companies. Sony pioneered some of these advancements um, with uh, updates to some of their A7 and A9 series cameras in the past that drastically improved certain autofocus capabilities, uh, especially when it came to identifying faces with different animals and so on and so forth. So uh, we... We're going to see more of that 
and you're going to see that you buy a camera out of the gate, it might be good uh, compared to what you might be used to. And then it just gets better as firmware revisions come out uh, as mm-hmm. new technology is engineered and patented and, uh, and rolled back into previous generation hardware um, because the product life cycles for these cameras are getting longer and longer and they need to have a longer shelf life. I've seen Terminator 2. I know how this ends. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, okay, so Pentax, uh, they're sticking with DSLRs. If you want to have a DSLR, you're going to... Now, now they. It, it's interesting because we, we talked about uh, Olympus selling off their camera division to JIP, uh, uh, an investment firm that... I, I mean, I'm... Olympus's was very positive that they weren't going to be selling their image uh, imaging division, that there was nothing wrong. You know, ignore any rumors that you hear. We are solid. Oh, by the way, today we're selling uh, <laughs> off to somebody else. So, I mean, so Pentax is putting up a bold face here, uh, Rico, the company behind Pentax. Um, but what do you think if their sales falter with this approach? Will they be like putting out a strong vibe until the the last nail is in the coffin and said, "Okay, end of the line. We're uh, we're getting out of this. Uh, the the Pentax name is being retired from the Rico portfolio or being sold off to somebody else." E- yeah, as, as soon as, as soon, it's going to come down to dollars and cents, and that if once it, once you can't do it, that's it. Yep. Later, Hosen. Uh, that that it is. So let's uh, let's hope that there's a future for Pentax. I mean, um, I, I don't mean to have too many players in the market, but if they're staying in the SLR market, that that's not a consideration for people looking for mirrorless cameras. And they might be able to carve out a niche uh, in in the more mechanical, tactile camera, even though it is digital. So if you were to if you were to be not doing the job that you're doing, let's just say you're a regular guy, you, you're you're a citizen. All right. Yep. You and I'll pick. And again, you send letters if you like. But my dream job, my dream job that is not in 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 film or video or whatever. If I'm not doing what I'm doing, my two dream jobs are: I'd like to be a professional woodworker, which isn't going to happen. But if I was just to have a regular regular job, I would absolutely. And I'm not even joking. I would love to be a garbage man in the 70s and 80s. Not now with the machine with the automatic stuff. I would love to ride in the back of a garbage truck and throw garbage into a truck. I am not even joking. It's it's awesome. It's a fan one of my favorite jobs. What uh, where is this coming from, Alan? My point being, you don't need to own a camera aside from shooting pictures of your kid at the lake, okay? Yep. So you don't need to have all your fancy mirrorless cameras and your macro lenses and this and this and this. You're just going to own a camera today. Not in the 70s, but today. You're going to own one camera. But you're pretty good. You're pretty good at taking pictures. You may, might take the occasional portrait. I don't know. which. What camera, not specifically which model, what kind of camera are you looking to buy? Your Is cell phone. Is it a DSLR? Phone. Your cell phone. No, I mean, it's the analogy that you just made. If you have a camera to take photos of your family, then you would buy a Kodak Brownie, right? You would buy mm-hmm. the simplest thing to take that family memory uh and the uh, the comparison in the modern day is your smartphone and the camera that's built into that if that's your goal the technology to create a fake out of focus background in in uh in software etc to mimic the look of right. uh, a nice camera and a nice lens is good enough for you you wouldn't even look to pentax because what you have is already in your pocket question then how far how far does that get you from from a the, the new iphone 11 which is a Amazing. Uh, you, you get one of those pictures that fakes the out of focus background. How far does that get you to a 
towards a professional photographer taking, taking uh, that photo. I mean, I, I bought one of those uh, to, to see that, exact, uh, to mm-hmm. experience it myself, especially in certain scenarios. Um, it's, it's really good. I mean, give me the, a give me a percentage. How far does it get you there? Eighty five percent. Eighty five. Wow. So you, if you if you tune in tomorrow to the two hosers, Adam and I talked about this a couple days ago. It airs tomorrow. I put that in the, not in not in your hands. In the average housewife's hands, the the stay at home mom, stay at home dad, whomever. I say fifty percent. It gets you fifty percent there without knowing much of anything. Now there are certain scenarios where it currently fails. Like uh, my daughter's on the swing, the ropes of the swing. Um, it has a hard time differentiating that from foreground and background. Like it makes some of them right. blurry and some of them not. And so there's some issues there. But again, that's been getting better and will continue to get better. With uh, I, I don't think that we've installed iOS 14 on that phone yet. But who knows if there's further improvements within that differentiation? I think that's just going to come. That's whether okay, it's the so iPhone 11 or Pentax? the iPhone 15. Uh, but even right now, um, within that construct, judging not from my point of view, but judging from the point of view of that average person, garbage man uh, type of, okay, you've done an honest day's work, and now you go to the beach with your kid and you want to take a photo, um, it's 85% in their eyes, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a non-photographer's eyes, uh, okay. compared to what a fancy uh, SLR would be. Now, I know what I can spot the differences. I can spot the flaws because sure. I have a certain skill set to do that, as most photographers would to some degree. Um, but I, I, I point out those flaws to my wife in the images, and she never saw them, and she doesn't care. So. No. Uh, in, in keeping that in mind, that pushes from that 50%, which in my mind I would see, to 85% from the average person. And that is why camera sales are in the decline. Okay, I got bad news for you, Pentax. Your DSLR strategy is about to go uh, go for a, a dip here. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I wish you luck, uh, Rico <laughs> Pentax. Uh, good luck out there. Now, this also harks back to, do you remember... Um, this, this was a technology way back. Uh, well, it's, it's uh, fundamental to how telescopes are designed, actually. But uh, they made telephoto lenses for cameras that had a, um, a, a mirror inside the lens mm-hmm. so that you would have light coming down through the barrel and reflect off of a mirror uh, around the edges of it and then bounce up to another mirror. And then that mirror it then bounces back down towards the sensor. So if you were to look at the end of the lens, there's a big like puck size. Well, maybe not a puck, but it you know it, a, a big center uh, block in the middle where that secondary mirror is uh, versus the primary. And it basically allows you to make a, a telephoto lens in a really compact size, mm-hmm. giving up image quality in the process. Uh, and these were popular in many previous generations of photography. Uh, even Canon made mirror lenses like this. Um, Did Nikon? Uh, I don't see why they couldn't have. I, I asked I, for a very specific reason because you sent me this story, and I've never really, I've never really seen one in the wild, except for speaking of Michael Mann movies, which was Collateral. I was watching the movie Heat last night for like the thousandth time because I love that movie. And for the first time, and this is before you even sent me the the notes, I noticed that Robert De Niro is using a telephoto lens, a mirror telephoto lens in the movie. Well, I know that at least other manufacturers made them for the Nikon mount, although I don't know if Nikon made them specifically. But it's 2020, okay? Yes. And Tokina has launched 
a super telephoto 400 millimeter F8 mirror lens. They call okay, it. Okay, so another question the about the the F8 is now you, you talk about image de- degradation and light loss. Uh, you didn't. That's, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Is it an F8 or a T8 technically because of that? Uh, it would be F8, um, but be- because the the T might be inconsistent based on changing the focus and you might change the total amount of light being lost. F8 would be the amount of light coming into the lens. Uh, but I well, but don't the, F, know the F number is essentially the, the, the length of the, the lens divide, divided by the uh, aperture, correct? Like it's a physical representation. Uh, this is true, but it's a physical representation of the optical path. Right. And so the optical path continues in the lens in multiple directions. Yeah. So I'd, okay. I'd have to argue on the internet about this one. Right. Okay. But uh, t- take the mirror part out of it. If I, if I have a, you know, like a, a, a hundred dollar, um, F F five, six lens, and I have a thousand dollar F two, eight lens, but shoot it at five, six, I'm guessing those five sixes are not going to be the same. The amount of light coming through is not going to be identical. I think the, the, the more expensive lens is likely going to transmit more light through, even though they're both technically a five, six. Uh, yes, there, there's always going to be variations on, on uh, what the f-stop does. But in, in this case, I think it's registering as, as an f8 because it's based on the optical path, even though that's a reflected thing and the light is bouncing around a little bit. Um, okay. But uh, here we are. It's a manual focus lens, obviously. I, I don't know of any mirror lenses like this that ever were capable of autofocus. Um, F8 uh, is the maximum and minimum aperture. It is the only aperture, so it's fixed. Oh, is that yeah. right? Um, and uh, I, again, that's par for the course with this kind of technology. I've never seen anybody do them differently than that. Um, it is a T-mount lens, which means you can put a T-mount adapter to basically any camera mount that you want. They make adapters for Canon and Nikon, Sony, Micro Four Thirds, Fuji's X-mount. Uh, but it's just a generic open uh, T-mount. So you can get them for pretty well every platform under the sun and adapt this lens to it. Um, filter diameter of uh, 67 millimeters if you wanted to do that. But if you've ever used one of these lenses, which I have not, but I'm looking at the example photos, it has a fairly characteristic bokeh in the background. Donut bokeh. Because of the the block in the center of the lens, um, you have a solid uh, uh, ring of -of out-of-focus detail where it's decidedly dark in the center and brighter on the outside. Not the same as soap bubble bokeh. Uh, which I, I like as an artistic effect. This this is a very clear donutty shape, um, and I don't know if I like it. It's called Tim Tim Horton Boca. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, man, the coffee chain should totally embrace this. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they could use it in their advertising campaigns. Close ups of the donuts with sparkles in the background that also look like donuts. This. Uh, well, I should cut that out. You're welcome, Tokina. You're welcome. But uh, so. Uh, now, I, I looked it up on their actual uh, website, the SZX, um, S for satisfaction, Z for sure. zest, and X for something unknown or exciting. I I think the marketing people right. kind of went a little crazy with that. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, but it says less shaking in their uh, nomenclature here. Um Built-in multi-axis advanced image stabilization systems of mirrorless cameras <laughs> can make 
uh, or we'll make you forget about blurred images due to handheld shaking. Uh, as I was reading that the first time, I'm thinking, did they build an image stabilizer into a mirror lens? No. Well, they're telling you use the IBIS. Yeah, yeah the, the, the IBIS in your mirrorless cameras will take care of yeah. that for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, sure. Uh, very clever marketing on their point. Um, it's a compact lens. I don't know if no matter how good you make the optics for regular subject matter, I know this works really well for telescopes when you're doing infinity focus, and maybe that's great for wildlife in some ways. It'll never be as good as a non-mirror lens, um, but sure. it will be substantially less expensive. They don't give prices. I looked all over their website. They've got a bunch of product SKUs, um, EAN codes and stuff, but there's no price at all here. I suspect it will be unbelievably affordable. And if somebody wants to experiment with super telephoto photography, I mean, that's the equivalent of an 800 millimeter lens on a micro four thirds camera. And it might just be worth, uh, you know, seeing what that's all about. Uh, I I think there, the, 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 I could imagine this being popular with a, a sub subset of photographers. And that would be, like, I'm not even joking. Like this would be excellent uh, for private investigators. If you're gathering Intel. Sure. Uh, a nice compact because lens. It's, and you know, with sure. cameras uh, that can shoot at ISO 51,200 reliably enough to get uh, mm -hmm. you know intelligence information, F8's not a deal breaker. Sure. And so you, you're walking around with this thing. You're not going to look like much of anything. You're going to blend in, uh, especially if everyone's a Pentax fan. You look like a Pentax <laughs> guy. The or, or if you're paparazzi, I think this is going to be a situation of, you know, like you want to get those. I, I hope you don't. I think it's kind of terrible. But, uh, you know, you want to get those long lens pictures of, of, of the celebrities doing what they do. Uh, this is, this is probably it. Like you're going to blend in. You're not, you're not going to draw attention, which is the same as, as blending in, I guess. Get, and, get a, uh, a T mount adapter to the Pentax K mount, throw that on a K one two. Um, and, uh, you'll be completely ignored cause you're shooting Pentax. Uh, and that lens isn't exactly. going to stand out either. Yeah. I think we, we found a market for Pentax here. And there's one more, one more, uh, subset that I'm just not going to mention. So we'll talk about that off the air. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to um, uh, a failure of humanity and photography is the cause. Uh, failure? Okay. Okay. So, uh, Petapixel, scary video shows father dangling young boy <laughs> off a cliff for a photo op. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, there's a cliff that's <laughs> got to be, I mean, there's a couple of little subledges down there that a child would bounce off of before they fall equally. I, I'm going to say it's 100 oh, feet. <laughs> Maybe, maybe more. Right. Uh, we don't see the bottom. Yeah. Uh, so it could be at least that. And there's a video showing uh, people clearly on the other side of a barrier designed to keep people away from the edge. They're not the only people there, by the way. There's a lot of other people. There's even people in the background sitting with their legs dang dangling over the edge, which, uh, well, people be stupid. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's one thing to, to be like the... Um, the guys that would like scale skyscrapers and take selfies at the top, they're doing that on their own risk. Yeah. Uh, and some of them have even fallen off to their death. And okay, so you take your life in your hands. That's one thing. But to put the life of a child in your hands, um, I don't I don't know how hot and humid it was. I don't know if their hands were getting clammy, but that kid was posed on the edge of the cliff. I mean, uh, Check out the show notes at photogeekweekly.com to, to find the link to this article. The child is wearing some red sneakers that are pushed up against the side of this pretty well vertical wall. 
Um, yeah. And, and so the sneakers are against this wall and he's held forward uh, uh, with both hands from uh, what I, uh, I can assume would be his father uh, with somebody else reaching around the father's neck, uh, presumably with a camera in hand to photograph yeah. this event. Um, <laughs> what's the riskiest thing you've ever done in photographing your children? Oh, um, yeah. When my kid was a baby without a diaper, that was, uh, that went, that went sideways quickly. <laughs> there was, there was some cleanup in aisle six. Yeah. I, hey, um, we did the same. We luckily did not have any cleanup. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, uh, nobody's really at risk. There, there's some laundry duty after, no. after that, but, um, nothing. Yeah. That's a good question. I, I don't, I never put my kids at risk. Um, I look at this though, and 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 I, I what what where is this photo going? Like, what are you what are you hoping? Anybody that looks at this photo is going to call you an awful parent and call child services. I don't know if they have such you, an organization in China, but which is where this is taken. But right, it, yeah, I, I I can't imagine whipping this out at a party and going, hey hey Bill. Look at this photo I shot, and the party going well after that. This is this is all this is all kinds of terrible. But why is nobody else stepping in here? Why yeah, is nobody you got else everybody saying, else around, and uh, like no, like nobody is even looking at this happening. Uh, right, you know, there, there's one person staring at their phone, taking a photo of it happening. That's not stepping in. Uh, no, I, no. I mean, I would this, be this screaming, has, this, get your kid off of that wall. Everybody's just documenting it, including the video of people basically, wow, look at this idiot. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I guess I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words because there's, there's, no there's no way to take a, a different stance on this. this is, it's, pr- it's pretty bold for us to sit here and condemn this because, you know, obviously – but, uh, uh, but, but I don't at the same time, I mean, I would never, uh, the, I guess the riskiest thing I ever did with my daughter was, uh, her first Halloween. I uh, carved out a pumpkin with, uh, with proper leg holes and I put her in there. I remember with a that photo. Hat. Um, yep. uh, I was concerned I might not have been able to pull her out of that without cutting the pumpkin apart. <laughs> uh, yeah. She came out just yeah, fine. Can, uh, that's as, that's as far pumpkin. as I've gone. Uh, I guess I'm trying to think if mine would involve swimming pools or ice skating or something like that, but nothing, nothing life threatening like this where, where you do that. Yeah. This one, this one's, this one's baffling. Yeah. Well, but I, I, I wanted to bring it up because, uh, we, we always talk about where photography takes people and if people didn't have instant access to a camera immediately for every occasion, uh, then the Instagram world of people trying to take the best selfie or the most dramatic photograph uh, with the camera in their pocket, we wouldn't have people taking stupid risks like those people that would swim in that turquoise lake somewhere in Europe. Mm. um, That's like purely acidic and uh, they will have horrible rashes on their skin for weeks, but no, it's a beautiful turquoise lake. They need a shot of them (laughs) swimming in it. Right. Um, or people that have gone blind from doing the same thing because they decided to dive under with their eyes open. Um, so is this on Instagram? Can we find the actual photo? I don't know. I, 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 part of me wants to see the photo that was taken, but a part well, of now me I just, do. I, I just 
I don't want that photo to ever exist and encourage other people to do the same, uh, especially if it turned out dramatically interesting because a child's life was at risk to take it. And that is never an okay thing to do. But this doesn't look like the kind of dude, and I'm looking at this in a very small image, the dad. This doesn't look like the kind of um, influencer, one-upsmanship kind of guy. So what, 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 what went through his head to think, yes, we're going to do this. I'm Kardashian. Look out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to out Kardashian you. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I, unless they interview the guy, which they haven't been able to track him down yet, uh, as the article says. And, and uh, there's a lot of comments on this article. Uh, and I found it in a few different places and everybody is uh, sort of condemning the behavior. Um, but there's no update as to who this is and what happened to the, the father and child. So um, we'll leave that as a mystery for now. If there's an update, well, I'm, gonna, I'm taking a week. positive spin out of this. This kid, this kid's going to grow up to be awesome. Okay, <laughs> so that's a, the if, if there's one positive, if his dad stops dangling him over cliffs, uh, he's he's going to grow up. He's he's going to do something great. Well, he could have equally not grown up at all if something uh, went the other way in this. So indeed. Yeah. Um, all right, our final story. I just had to throw this one in uh, for poops and giggles because. Um, some re- researchers decided to build a mini camera, tape it to the back of a beetle, and see what happens. Which I completely agree is a necessity in the world. Um, well, <laughs> right. Did you take a... I, there, there was a video associated with this as well. Uh, there's a bunch of stills in, uh, in a, uh, it. It's... I, I don't think it serves any real purpose scientifically. Um no, it's if you read further down, though, I mean, I read an updated story, and uh, it turns out the company broke up. So, thanks, Yoko. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, so the, this is a tiny little module that can fit on the back of a beetle. Um, it has a camera that shoots at, like, two frames a second, if that seems like uh-huh. it's a frame and a half a second. It's in, it's in 12K, though. Uh, yeah, that makes, no, it's in monochrome and looks like, uh, you know, 640 by 480 in terms of the resolution. So it's really low tech, but also probably thereby really low power. You can see wires on, on the circuit, like things have been manually combined together. So this is definitely a, uh, a research project that does not have government funding for <laughs> spy purposes and what have you. Not yet. Um, Yet, well, if you could shrink this down in size and like uh, the, the trouble is putting this on the back of a beetle, most beetles under the shell of, of their thorax uh, is wings, right? They fly from place uh-huh. to place. This beetle can no longer fly anywhere because this is stopping his uh, his wings from opening. Uh, and so it's completely- Plus just- all the other beetles are like, hey, are you a cop? You have to tell me if you are. Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh I, it's it's curious to see that this technology can exist on any scale. Uh, I see like this this big red. You remember on like the back of old computer hard drives and on old computer motherboards, they had these little uh, pin jumpers. Mm-hmm. You would have to position to uh, to do certain things, to activate certain features, or to change certain settings, or to to make one hard drive a. I forget what the name is. Don, do you know? Uh, do we have to go and reference no. Master and Slave here at this point? Because that's, oh, you said it. Cancel them. <laughs> Uh, hey, that, that's what you would have to do uh, two IDE drives in uh, mm-hmm. on the same ribbon. That's Address all letters to Don at yeah, Photo Geek Weekly. Uh, 
Um, I'm, I'm glad we don't use those terms anymore on modern technology. And thank you, Canon, for joining the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the group. But uh, so there, there's a little jumper on this and a bunch of so I know this can be made simpler and I know right. it could be made smaller. And if you had like a, a DO, a DOD budget for something like this in the U.S. Skunk you works could, kind of thing. You could make a beetle helmet. And that I would approve of. Maybe they that, have those and you haven't seen them. Well, maybe they already do. Uh, I know that they have beetle bots and, and other like mini drones, dragonflies and things like that, that uh, seemingly are something out of science fiction. But I can just imagine in my mind that that is not outside the realm of possibility uh, to exist somewhere for some purpose. So have uh, you ever heard of the journal Science Robotics? I have. That sounds made up to me. That sounds like you're making it up for some sitcom that had no budget. No, no. I, I've seen some other stuff from them before. Okay. Um, and and so uh, University of Washington uh, is is pushing this out. And, you know, kudos go to Huskies, them. Go Huskies. Go you Huskies. Uh, and, uh, and now we have cameras you can strap on the back of a rather large beetle and watch it ro- walk around in 1.5 frames per second, black and white, um, because we can. So okay. that's how we're ending our stories for the week. <laughs> on a high note. On a high note. Um, so, I mean, we talked a bit about, uh, I mean, what you're up to, Alan. You've got your uh, podcast, uh, the Two Hosers Photo Show, right? Indeed, twohosers.com. You can hear me and Adam talk every single... We're, we're, we're quickly approaching 500 episodes. Wow. Right, did you have anything big planned for episode 500? I did. We were doing something in, in person, but then now nobody's flying anywhere, so... I don't know. I don't know what we're doing for 500. Maybe we'll postpone that till next year. But uh, that is once 499 and 501 and just save 500 for sometime (laughs) in the future. We might. We might. I I honestly, all kidding aside, I cannot believe we're actually coming up on on 500. Um, And that is we've never done more than one episode a week. We've never done less than one episode a week ever. In the nine and a half years since we've been since we started, we have done one show every single week without missing, and that's I've had a couple kids in that time, and and uh, and many other things, but we still managed to do it. And so I'm actually proud of Adam for sticking in that long and uh, making it happen. So so this week tomorrow 4.98 or whenever you hear this, probably right now 4.98 airs. So in two weeks is number 500. All right. Well, check that out at twohosers.com. And I've made a number of appearances there uh, over the year. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10 times or so. At least. Yeah, you were, I think you were, you were our first guest. Well, and uh, and I'm also your last guest if you stopped right now. <laughs> we're not stopping. We're not stopping. <laughs> I like it too much. I don't know how you feel about podcasts. I actually, I, I, I don't have it planned out necessarily. I do have a... I do have a special guest potentially lined up. I have to sort that out. Um to talk about podcasting in general. I, I happen to, I'm lucky enough. To, I won't spoil it. Don't, don't give it away. But if anybody knows anything about me, I do get to work occasionally, occasionally with somebody who is, I think is the reason that podcasting exists. And, uh, I'll, I know who you're talking about. I'm not going to say his name. Yes. Um, so tune in for 500. I, I, I'll, I'm going to get in touch with him this week and, uh, and ask if he'll, he'll do a guest spot on the show, which he has, but he's done before. So, um, I do want to hear about why, why podcasting exists and, and the reason it does 
in the form that it, it currently does, which is amazing. Like I, I you know, love podcasting. I, I, I love them. Too. I listen to them all the time. Yeah. Uh, I listen to yours. I listen to a number of them on technology and on science and uh, um, on just anything that uh, tickles my fancy that I'm not necessarily going to study. Uh, or maybe I am passionate about it, but in a different area. It's a great way to sort of broaden one's horizons and, and see opinions beyond your own mind. It also feels when you listen to a podcast, as many people listening, um, that it's something of a, a, a one-way friendship where yeah. uh, you get the opinions and the life stories of the people that you listen to. You don't necessarily get to chime in, um, but uh, you you feel a, you know, a certain connection. And I do that with a lot of the people that I listen to. And when I meet them in person, it's like, hey, I know all the stories of your life. And like, oh, well, yep. that's creepy. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is. I've, I've had that, that same situation where, you know, like I said, like I, I, I started this show, uh, our show, when I had zero kids and now I have two. And, and so, so... There, we we do have some listeners who've been there from the beginning or have listened back and have followed along and, and listen every week and know the story of my kids growing up or baseball or whatever it is. And they know about our my life. And I've then met them in person. And it takes about 10 or 12 times of them saying, okay, this is really weird. You know, oh, it's weird. I can't believe I'm talking to you. Like, cause I, I, because they listen to you in headphones for almost all, almost all the time. Like, Typically, how podcasts are listened to is it's, it's not often over the sometimes over the car radio, but uh, stereo. But um, it, it is always a, an amazing sort of sort of like you said, a one way friendship. Uh, and I appreciate it on the other end too, that where I work, where I end up meeting people that I've listened to their podcast for years. Oh, yeah. I feel the same. I way. love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So twohosers.com. And uh, if you ever decide to start a professional uh, woodworking career, uh, I'm sure it'll uh, be linked to on that website. We can check that out too. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, hey, I've seen some of the furniture you've been building, man. It's pretty cool. It's well beyond anything that I would ever do in my life. I uh, appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, we got some picks of the week to get to before we wind things down. Uh, Alan, what, what's yours? Well, as always, I like to keep in my tradition uh, of keeping the the items very low cost and accessible. I say low cost, but then you 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 price check me. But uh, I like to keep it uh, accessible to everybody. I own two very very old Polaroid cameras, and I love them. So I might. So pick we're the talking week. like six hundred series cameras or uh, SX seventies. Like what? I mean, Polaroid's a brand, but yes. it, there's a lot within that brand. So I own a a, a, a listener, Matt. Probably not listening right now. Uh, he sent me uh, from not uh, down the road from you in Guelph, Ontario. He sent me a couple of years ago a an old six hundred series business edition Polaroid with the flash and everything built in. Oh, he he should not have given that away because <laughs> I. I looked this up. There's one available for sale on Amazon.ca right now. Right. And it is selling for, well, I'm not going to say it's selling for. I don't know if it has sold. It's not or selling. If it ever will sell at this price. No. But it's listed for $199.50 Canadian. Yeah, good luck to you. It's, it's worth, probably worth about $25. Um, but you can pick them up uh, for dollars, yes. right? You betcha. You can pick one up. I, I bought a, a 1000 series, an older one without a flash uh, at a at a uh, flea market. Sorry, I was thinking the German word, flohmarkt. Uh, flea market here in Germany a couple of years ago. I think I paid two euros for it. Um, it's fully functional. It's in great shape. Uh, but 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 how how that came about was my daughter, one of, some, one of her friends, one of our friends came over and they had one of the, the Fuji Instax 
uh, cameras, the little, what spits out the little pictures, right? Yep. And she thought that was amazing. She thought it was cool. She was probably six years old at the time and thought that was uh, the best thing ever. And she, dad, can I have one? I want, I want one for Christmas. I said, well, no, they're, they're like $130 or euros or something like that. Plus the film, you know, it's about a bucket picture. I said, but I can track down a Polaroid camera for approximately zero. The film is much more expensive than the the, yeah, the one Polaroid originals, uh, and it's gotten better in terms of the quality of the film. Uh, it's nowhere near what Polaroid used to be, um, but uh, but I shot. I've got a six hundred here as well that I bought. I can't remember if this one was the yard sale purchase or if it was from Value Village, but it was in the single digits of dollars, right? Um, and, uh, and so I, I picked that up and I, I, uh, I ran some impossible project film through it at the time and the film was kind of garbage, but there was, yeah, it was fun. Um, and then every, uh, um, uh, every black Friday, there's usually a pretty good sale on, uh, the Polaroid film and I'll buy oh, okay. a pack or two or three. Uh, and wait for a special occasion or just for no reason at all and just load it in and shoot the entire thing all at once. Um, and so this past time that I used it, my daughter was running circles around our kitchen, mm -hmm. kind of have, have an open concept and she can kind of do laps through the living room and the dining room and the kitchen and what have you. And so I was snapping off photos whenever she would run past me. Uh, and uh, so I got a lot of very similar images, but there's one or two in there on that Polaroid film that are just classic, and uh, we've got them up on the fridge. I, I highly recommend it. I, I, for Christmas this year, so I had the cameras for Christmas. I bought the kids, uh, I think I bought three packs of film, eight, it's got to be eight, eight to a pack, right? Uh, I can't remember if it was eight or ten. Ballpark, but yeah, yeah, around there. I mean, you're not going to get a whole lot. No, and so uh, so I bought I bought those. And thought, oh, we'll try them out. I figure, you know, I'll pace myself at the rate I shoot pictures. You know, will be gone by by July. Uh, so I've shot three photos. I've shot exactly three, <laughs> and I love each one of them. You know, I shot one at Christmas. I shot one recently on my of of me. I shot one. I handed it to my my wife and had her shoot one of me and my daughter on her ninth birthday, and uh, it's it's one of my favorite pictures ever. So I'll actually send it well, to you. I, I know of, of some people that have had big issues with the SX-70 uh, films and uh, with the I-Type films in the past. Um, but I've never heard of anybody having significant issues with the 600 films. So if you're looking for a, a, an antique Polaroid, anything in the 600 class, okay. I think would be a pretty good thing to, uh, to take a look at. And I just pulled it up here on the Polaroid uh, Originals website. Uh, right now, not on sale. It's eighteen ninety nine US uh, a uh, a pack, but a little pop up just says you get ten percent off when you join our community, so that'll save you a couple of bucks uh, when you're buying stuff. And I'm sure there's discounts when you buy more at a time. It's interesting that they they're also listing now eight by ten format uh, for Polaroid, and I've got an eleven by fourteen studio camera that I might be able to load some of that into. Uh, which would be kind of fun to play around with. I also have some Polaroid land cameras um, and uh, no film for those has come back to life. Right. I got two of those cameras collecting dust, but I'm waiting. Uh, one of these days, those beautiful, gigantic bellows Polaroid cameras uh, might see some action again. And your, what, what is your you pick of know. the week? My pick of the week is a stick. Um, so, um, it is, well, it's literally what it is. It's called a bank stick and it's used for fishing. Uh, in its original purpose, you would take the stick and ram it into the ground mm -hmm. and then you would attach your fishing rod onto the top of it. 
uh, and so that you could let your fishing rod stay in the bank of a river or a lake. Uh, and, uh, you know, it wouldn't get pulled into the water if you start catching a fish and you can run over and grab it. Um, but basically what it is, it's a telescoping. So you can raise the center column or to a certain point, <laughs> not too far. Um, but you can, you can raise or lower this to change its height. And the top part of it has a screw mount. And you, for like 25 cents, can adapt that to a, a, a quarter 20 tripod mount. Uh, and I just couldn't find my adapter right now because I was using it for something else. And now you have, um, I wouldn't use it necessarily as a tripod, uh, but as something that you can attach a clamp to uh, for holding a flashlight or to screw in a flash to, to, to do something to modify your lighting so that when you're out in the field, uh, you know, on, on a nature walk or in your own backyard, you could just dig this spike into the ground that can go into a significant level and keep itself really solid. Um, and with a, a quarter 20 a tripod adapter on the top, uh, your imagination is whatever you want to use that for. You can now attach something to that for your creative endeavors. Um, it costs $10 Canadian for one of these. Nice. Uh, $10.34 uh, I found on Amazon. So I'll put a link to that. It might not be exactly the same one that I have. And you will have to find the adapter if whatever version you get doesn't have the proper camera tripod mount on it. But you're talking pennies to get that piece in addition to this. So yeah, a bank stick used for fishing, but you can use it for photography. That's going to come in pretty handy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and again, uh, I... If I'm going to be shooting now, it's going to be in my own backyard or in a secluded nature place. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I, you know, if it is in a, secl a secluded place, I'm not going to maybe necessarily want to bring a lighting stand if I'm trying to shoot macro stuff of something small. This is really tiny, lightweight, easy to just clip on or put into a camera bag and uh, carry that along with you. All right, that is my pick. Um, and you can find the links to our picks. Um, well, not really Alan's pick, um, because you've got to find that at a yard sale yourself. <laughs> uh, but at least mine, you'll find a link to that at uh, photogeekweekly.com. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for calling me out about that intervalometer thing on Canon. I'm glad they've come around on some of their cameras, but I can still be bitter about it not being on their flagship product, the 1DX Mark III, based on my skimming of their PDF manual. And I might be wrong about that. Call me out about that if I am indeed. Um, but that ends the show. Thank you so much for being here, Alan. It's always great to have you on. Um, and uh, to everybody listening, thanks for listening. Now it's time to stay in and shoot. Music